0: Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracle. This is season five and it's called the book club. We're on chapter 16. Welcome back. This chapter introduces the idea of empathy. We show empathy for others to relate to their pain and sufferings. To emphasize, by definition, means to understand and share the feelings of another. This is an ego function the ego wants to show empathy in order to strengthen itself. First, we empathize selectively, which means there are conditions in which we choose empathy for one person over another. And last, that the ego always chooses empathy to weaken. It establishes an order of superiority. It shows empathy to feel superior over another. All we have learned of empathy is from our past. We do not want to share anything from our past, for there is nothing from our past we would wish to keep. The Holy Spirit wants us not to interfere. True empathy will be offered by Him who knows what it is. Today, we will cover chapter 16, The Forgiveness of Illusions, with these sections. True empathy, the power of holiness, the reward of teaching, the illusion and the reality of love, and the choice for completion. So, let us begin. So, chapter 16 in my book is on page 330. And the first section, True Empathy, starts like this. Paragraph one says, To empathize does not mean to join in suffering, for that is what you must refuse to understand. That is the ego's interpretation of empathy and is always used to form a special relationship in which the suffering is shared. Sentence six says, when he relates through you, he does not relate through your ego to another. He does not join in pain, understanding that healing pain is not accomplished by delusional attempts to enter into it and lighten it by sharing the delusion. So I'm just going to stop there. So basically, empathy is just sharing in someone else's pain. And if pain is self-created, and if all of this is something we inflict upon ourselves, then why would we empathize with someone who's inflicting pain upon themselves? Then what we're doing is we're sharing in the delusion. And that's what this book is trying to tell us. Paragraph two says, the clearest proof that empathy, as the ego uses it, is destructive lies in the fact that it is applied only to certain types of problems in certain people. So again, we're very selective with who we choose to empathize with. These it selects out and joins with, and it never joins except to strengthen itself. Having identified with what it thinks is it understands, the ego sees itself and would increase itself by sharing what is like itself. Make no mistake about this maneuver. The ego always emphasizes to weaken and to weaken is always to attack. Paragraph three says, your part is only to remember this. You do not want anything you value to come of a relationship. You choose neither to hurt it nor to heal it in your own way. You do not know what healing is. All you have learned of empathy is from the past, and there is nothing from the past that you would share, for there is nothing from the past that you would keep. Do not use empathy to make the past real and so perpetuate it. Step aside gently or step gently aside and let healing be done for you. So, this is where we need to let the Holy Spirit step in and do what he knows best. And then sentence nine at the bottom says, focus your mind only on this. And this starts the next page. I am not alone and I would not intrude the past upon my guest. I have invited him and he is here. I need do nothing except not to interfere. Paragraph four on the next page 331 says, true empathy is of him who knows what it is. You will learn his interpretation of it if you let Him, use your capacity for strength and not for weakness. He will not desert you, but be sure that you desert not him. Humility is strength in in this sense only, that to recognize and accept the fact that you do not know is to recognize and accept the fact that he does know. You are not sure that he will do his part because you have never yet done yours completely. Paragraph five, sentence four says, the unredeemed cannot redeem, yet they have a redeemer. Attempt to teach him not. You are the learner. He is the teacher. Do not confuse your role with his, for this will never bring peace to anyone. Offer your empathy to him, that's the Holy Spirit, for it is his perception and his strength that you would share, and let him offer you his strength and his perception to be shared through you. Paragraph 6 says, The meaning of love is lost in any relationship that looks to weakness and hopes to find love there. The power of love, which is its meaning, lies in the strength of God that hovers over it and blesses it silently by enveloping it in healing wings." Let this be, and do not try to substitute your miracle for this. Sentence seven at near the bottom of that page says, only the Holy Spirit recognizes foolish needs as well as real ones, and he will teach you how to meet both without losing either. Paragraph seven at the bottom says, you will attempt to do this only in secrecy, and you will... And you will think that by meeting the needs of one, you do not jeopardize another. Next page. Top of the page says, because you keep them separate and secret from each other. That is not the way, for it leads not to life and truth. No needs will long be left unmet if you leave them all to him whose function is to meet them. That is his function and not yours. Okay, so that section is called true empathy. So trying to make us understand, and I know this was a big one for me when I first read this about empathy, and I'm thinking, oh, we were taught to empathize with people, not sympathize, because sympathize was feeling sorry for them. But empathize is just as bad, because we're not feeling sorry for them, we're trying to share in their suffering. And if suffering is man-made and ego-made, then we're just one ego trying to share in another ego's pain. Why would we do that? Why would we encourage that? We wouldn't. So just, uh, just clarifying that empathy here, what the book is saying, is that the Holy Spirit knows what empathy is. We don't. We just use empathy based on what we think empathy is, based on what we created in this world, this illusion. He's saying, don't do that leave me, leave it up to me. Let me guide you through whatever it is that you need to do to help your brothers and sisters. But don't you try to do it because you're only going to use the past, which we don't live in, to try to give you some bearing and some groundwork on what you should do. And we don't want to do that. Page 332, The Power of Holiness. Paragraph one says, you may still think that holiness is impossible to understand because you cannot see how it can be extended to include everyone. And you have been told that it must include everyone to be holy. Can you concern yourself not with the extension of holiness for this, sorry, for the nature of miracles you do not understand? Paragraph two, sentence four, a little bit down, says a better and far more helpful way to think of miracles is this. You do not understand them, neither in part nor in whole, yet they have been done through you. Therefore, your understanding cannot be necessary. Yet it is still impossible to accomplish what you do not understand. And so there must be something in you that does understand. Paragraph three, to you, the miracle cannot seem natural because what you have done to hurt your mind has made it so unnatural that it does not remember what is natural to it. And when you are told what is natural, you cannot understand it. The recognition of the part as whole and of the whole in every part is perfectly natural for it is the way God thinks and what is natural to him is natural next page to you." Another thing about miracles that I found really helpful to understand is that miracles are not the kind of things we were taught. Like it was something that Christ did, or it's something that God does, or it's something that some special prophet or person who was chosen did. Miracles are everyday occurrences. This is what we don't understand, and this is what the book is trying to tell us, to stop trying to overthink it. Miracles happen every day to us, through us, around us. It's to be aware and to be open to the idea that that occurs. That's what the book wants us to do with miracles. Paragraph four says, You have done miracles, but it is quite apparent that you have not done them alone. You have succeeded whenever you have reached another mind and joined with it. When two minds join as one and share one idea equally, the first link in the awareness of the sonship as one has been made. Paragraph five says, How can faith in reality be yours while you are bent on making it unreal? And are you really safer in maintaining the reality of illusions than you would be in joyously accepting truth for what it is and giving thanks for it? Hmm. Paragraph six, no evidence will convince you of the truth of what you do not want. Yet your relationship with him is real. Regard this not with fear, but with rejoicing. The one you call upon is with you. Bid him welcome and honor the witnesses who bring you the glad tidings he has come. It is true, just as you fear, that to acknowledge him is to deny that all you think you know. And, and we're welcoming the Holy Spirit, that's what we're talking about here, is welcoming the Holy Spirit into our lives and allowing Him to do what He was sent here to do. Christ did it, and look what happened for Christ. Minus the crucifixion, <laughs> but He did not die, so we know that paragraph seven at the bottom says this is a year of joy in which your listening will increase and peace will grow with its increase the power of holiness and the weakness of attack are both being brought into your awareness next page And this has been accomplished in a mind firmly convinced that holiness is weakness and attack is power. Should not this be a sufficient miracle to teach you that your teacher is not of you? But remember also that whenever you listen to his interpretation, the results have brought you joy. And paragraph nine at the bottom says, you have never given any problem to the Holy Spirit he has not solved for you, nor will you ever do so. You have never tried to solve anything yourself and have been successful. It is not time, is it not time you brought these facts together and made sense of them? This is the year for the application of ideas that have been given you. For the ideas are mighty forces to be used and not held idly by. They have already proved their power sufficiently for you to place your faith in them and not in their denial. So, that is that section, which is the power of holiness, again, asking us to to have faith and believe that this higher power has our back and will cover us the whole time. But it's that leap of faith. It's that, you know, putting your arms out and falling backwards, not literally, but faithfully, (laughs) into the arms of something more powerful than ourselves and believing that He will catch us. He will. Guarantee Page 334, which we're on, at the bottom is the reward of teaching. Paragraph one says, We have already learned that everyone teaches and teaches all the time. You may have taught well, and yet you may not have learned how to accept the comfort of your teaching. If you will consider what you have taught and how alien it is to what you thought you knew, you will be compelled to realize that your Teacher, next page, came from beyond your thought system. Therefore, he could look upon it fairly and perceive it was untrue. Paragraph 2 says, You may have taught freedom, but you have not learned how to be free. I said earlier, By their truth, by their fruits, (laughs) ye shall know them, and they shall know themselves. For it is certain that you judge yourself according to your teaching. The ego's teaching produces immediate results because its decisions are immediately accepted as your choice. And this acceptance means that you are willing to judge yourself accordingly. Paragraph three says, does not the fact that you have not learned what you have taught show you that you do not perceive the sonship as one? And does it not also show you that you do not regard yourself as one? For it is impossible to teach successfully wholly without conviction, and it is equally impossible that conviction be outside of you. You could never have taught freedom unless you did believe in it, and it must be that what you taught came from yourself. Yet this self you clearly do not know and do not recognize, it even it even though it functions it functions what functions must be there and it is only if you deny what it has done that you could possibly deny its presence okay so i'm going to stop there so what this this is saying is that if we truly looked at the things that went well in our life the things that brought us joy it came from within. It didn't come from somebody else. It came from our interpretation and our acceptance of a situation, a person, a thing, whatever it was. That's what brought us joy. The person, the thing, or the situation didn't bring us joy. It's our. It was our interpretation and our acceptance of it as being true, and truth for us that brought us joy. And that's what it's trying to say here. It's that we let it be reinterpreted without overthinking it, without letting the ego in, and with letting the Holy Spirit do it for us and give us that little taste of what that feels like. I always say to people that the best way to explain the Holy Instant to uh, to everyone is that if you think of those, those moments in time where you've sat somewhere could be outside. I find it outside in nature, listening to the birds or watching the birds or watching the trees or listening to the trees or whatever it is, but just being quiet and paying attention to everything around me. And I get sort of lost in that moment. And then nothing's in my head. And all I'm doing is I'm absorbing that moment. Well, that's the holy instant. And that's the moment that peace and joy is let in. And that's when we feel free. And that's the moment we're trying to find every single moment of our existence in this world. Paragraph four says, this is a course in how to know yourself. You have taught what you are, but you have not let what you are teach you. You have been very careful to avoid the obvious and not to see the real cause and effect relationship that is perfectly apparent. Yet within you is everything you taught. What can it be that what can it be that has not learned it? It must be this part that is really outside yourself, not by your own projection, but in truth. And it is this part that you have taken in that is not you. What you accept into your mind does not really change it. Illusions are but beliefs in what is not, next page, page 336, what is not there? And the seeming conflict between truth and illusion can only be resolved by separating yourself from the illusion and not from truth. Again, stating that truth is found within, not without. What you see outside of you is not truth. It's your perception of whatever it is you see outside of you. The only real truth that lies in us lies in us. And that's what this message is supposed to, is trying to tell us. Uh, Paragraph five, sentence eight says, they communicate to you through the Holy Spirit and their power and gratitude to you for their creation. They offer gladly to your teaching of yourself, who is their home. You who are host to God are also host to them, for nothing real has ever left the mind of its creator, and what is not real was never there. Paragraph six says, you are not two selves in conflict. What is beyond God? Question mark. If you who told him and whom he holds, sorry, if you who hold him and whom he holds are the universe, all else must be outside where nothing is. You've taught this and from far off in the universe, yet not beyond yourself, the witnesses to your teaching have gathered to help you learn. Their gratitude is joined with yours and God's to strengthen your faith in what you taught. For what you taught is true. Alone you stand outside your teaching and apart from it. But with them, you must learn that you but taught yourself and learned from the conviction you shared with them. Paragraph 7, sentence... 5 says as you learn your gratitude to yourself who teaches you what he is will grow and help you honor him and you will learn his power and strength and purity and love him as his father does his kingdom has no limits and no end and there is nothing in him that is not perfect and eternal all this is you and nothing outside of this is you that's another big statement. That's a huge statement. If you want to highlight something, highlight that, what I just read, and particularly start with sentence seven in seven, seven and seven. His kingdom has no limits and no end, and there is nothing in him that is not perfect and eternal. All this is you, and it puts in italics you, and nothing outside of this is in italics You. So everything within is us. Is who we truly are. Is what sorry, I shouldn't say who, I need to say what we truly are. Who is this illusion that the ego's trying to create? It's this physical avatar that we see in the mirror, mirror and we're always trying to figure out who am I? Who am I? Who am I? No, wrong path, wrong journey. It's not who you are on the outside. It's what you are on the inside. That's the journey. That's the path you need to take. That's where God is. That's where you are. You just have to find yourself. Paragraph nine on the next page, 337 says, your bridge is built stronger than you think and your foot is planted firmly on it. Have no fear that the attraction of those who stand on the other side and wait for you will not draw you safely across, for you will come where you would be and where yourself awaits you. Interesting. I remember reading this um, out. oh, Oh, I've read this so many times, but this one time and a woman in my book club said, are we talking about heaven? And it was And it wasn't until probably the last few times that I read it that I really understood what they were talking about. No, they're not talking about heaven. Mind you, sort of talking about heaven. They're talking about that understanding of what we are. And once we know that, we will connect to everything in the universe. And that's what's standing on the other side of that bridge, is everything in the universe that's connected. That includes the trees, the people, the every living, breathing being on this planet and on every planet and in the universe will be connected to and will understand the eternal. And that's what that's trying to say. The next section is called The Illusion and the Reality of Love. Paragraph one, I'm going to read the whole paragraph. It says, be not afraid to look upon the special hate relationship for freedom lies in looking at it. It would be impossible not to know the meaning of love except for this, for the special love relationship in which the meaning of love is hidden is undertaken solely to offset the hate, but not to let it go. Your salvation will rise clearly before your open eyes as you look on this. You cannot limit hate. The special love relationship will not offset it, but will merely drive it underground and out of sight it is essential to bring it into sight and to make no attempt to hide it. For it is the attempt to balance hate with love that makes love meaningless to you. The extent of the split that lies in this, you do not realize. And until you do, the split will remain unrecognized and therefore unhealed. Wow, that is such a big paragraph of information. Okay, so... There used to be an old saying, well, there's an old saying that says there's a fine line between love and hate, and they're not kidding. And this is basically what they mean by that. This part of this paragraph is basically saying that in every special love relationships, so these are these relationships where we fall in love, and I'm putting up my my sign of quotation marks that you can't see, in love, and that we become so attached to this person that if something happens, we would be devastated and we would be angry and would be hurt. and that's where we can hate. That's where these wonderful, beautiful love so-called love relationships start off wonderful and people have children and they have these beautiful and then they and then something happens, a betrayal or something happens, and then one or both hate one another. Here's the thing, people. If it was truly love, perfect love, the love that this book talks about, hate's not possible. So if you hate someone that you claim to have loved, newsflash, you never loved them. (laughs) You never loved them. That was the illusion of love. That was not love. That was this world's conditional love. That was this special love relationship that we're going to talk about. Paragraph three, skipping paragraph two, going to paragraph three. The special love relationship is an attempt to limit the destructive effects of hate by finding a haven in the storm of guilt. Big line there. It attempts, it makes no attempt to rise above the storm into the sunlight. On the contrary, it emphasizes the guilt outside the haven by attempting to build barricades against it and keep within them. Mm, There's your obsessive love. Next page. The special love relationship is not perceived as a value in itself, but as a place of safety from which hatred is split off and kept apart, right? Because you're always walking that line. You know, that person does this one thing to you or betrays you or hurts you, then you hate them. The love special love partner is acceptable only as long as he serves his purpose or her purpose. Hatred can enter and indeed is welcome in some aspects of the relationship, but it is still held together by the illusion of love. If the illusion goes, the relationship is broken or becomes unsatisfying on the grounds of disillusionment. And think about all the times that we've been in love relationships and become disillusioned by love. It's because it was an illusion to begin with. Paragraph four, love is not an illusion. Not perfect love, but the love we created here is. It is in fact, it is a fact. Where disillusionment is possible, there was not love, but hate. For hate is an illusion, and what can change was never love. It is sure that those who who select certain ones as partners in any aspect of living and use them for any purpose which they would not share with others, are trying to live with guilt rather than die of it. This is the choice they see. And love to them is only an escape from death. They seek it desperately, but not in the peace in which it would gladly come quietly to them. And when they find the fear of death is still upon them, the love relationship loses the illusion that it is what it is not. When the barricades against it are broken, fear rushes in and hatred, hatred, triumphs. Paragraph five, there are no triumphs of love only hate is at all concerned with the triumph of love. The illusions of love can triumph over the illusions of hate, but always at the price of making both illusions. As long as the illusion of hatred lasts, so long will love be an illusion to you. And then only choice remaining possible, the only choice remaining possible is which illusion you prefer. There is no conflict in the choice between truth and illusion. Seen in these terms, no one would hesitate, but conflict enters the instant the choice seems to be one between illusions. But this choice does not matter. Where one choice is as dangerous as the other, the decision must be one of despair. Paragraph six says, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all of the barriers within yourself that you have built against love. Paragraph seven says, recognize this for it is true and truth must be recognized if it is to be distinguished from illusion. The special love relationship is an attempt to bring love into separation. And as such, it is, next page, nothing more than an attempt to bring love into fear and make it real in fear. In fundamental violation of love's one condition, the special love relationship would accomplish the impossible. How but in illusion could this be done? it is essential that we look very closely at exactly what it is you think you can do to solve the dilemma, which seems very real to you, but which does not exist. You have come close to truth and only this stands between you and the bridge that leads you into it. Paragraph 8 says, heaven awaits." sorry wait silently and your creations are holding out their hands to help you cross and welcome them for this for it is they who who no for it is they you seek and you seek but for your own completion and it is they who render you complete paragraph 9 says across the bridge is your completion for you will be holy in god willing for nothing special but only to be holy like to Him, completing Him by your own completion. Fear not to cross to the abode of peace and perfect holiness. Only there is the completion of God and His Son established forever. Seek not for this in the blank world, uh, bleak world of illusion, where nothing is certain and where everything fails to satisfy. In the name of God, be wholly willing to abandon all illusions in any relationship in which you are wholly willing to accept completion, and only this, there is God completed and his son with him. Paragraph 10 says, sentence two says, every illusion you accept into your mind by judging it to be attainable removes your own sense of completion and thus denies the wholeness of your father. Every fantasy, be it of love or hate, deprives you of knowledge for fantasies are the veil behind which truth is hidden. To lift the veil that seems too, too dark, so dark and heavy, it is only needful to value truth beyond all fantasy and to be entirely unwilling to settle for illusion in place of truth. Next page. Sentence three at the top. Is it three? Can't even see that. Uh, yes. Love calls, but hate would have you say stay. Paragraph, sentence eight, sorry, says, he loves you wholly without illusions as you must love. For love is wholly without illusions and therefore wholly without fear. Whom God remembers must be whole. Paragraph 12, sentence two says, the Holy Spirit is the bridge to him. Make. Made from your uh, willingness to unite with him and created by his joy in union with you. The journey that seemed endless is almost complete, for what is endless is very near. You have almost recognized it. Turn with me firmly away from all illusions now and let nothing stand in the way of truth. We will take the last useless journey away from truth together. And then together we go straight to God in joyous answer to his call for his, for his completion. Paragraph 13 says, if your special relationships of any kind would hinder God's completion, can they have any value to you? What would interfere with God must interfere with you. Only in time does interference in God's completion seem to be possible. The bridge that he would carry you across lifts you from from time into eternity, Waken from time and answer fiercely the call of him who gave eternity to you in your creation. On this side of the bridge is timelessness. You understand nothing. But as you step lightly across it, upheld by timelessness, you are directed straight to the heart of God. That's where I'm going to stop it. Okay, that is a lot to... Um, absorb in this one is the illusion and the reality of love. Okay, so explain this a little bit. So I tried to along the way, but I'm going to sort of sum this up a bit for you. So uh, basically, this is trying to say that our special love relationships that we have now, those special love relationships they're talking about is our relationships with our children with our parents, with our partners, with our siblings, those relationships that we make more special than other relationships with anybody else that we are any of our brothers and sisters we come in contact with. So I know this was hard for me because special relationships was was a hard thing for me to grasp that, that they're not supposed to be special. <laughs> and what we do And this is really clear. And if we think about this, this makes total sense, is what we do when we make any relationship more special than another relationship, then we put an investment in it that's an illusion and a delusion. And we have set it up for hate and pain and hurt. Because when we make it that special, we put a risk involved in losing it. And then if we lose it, whether we lose it by someone's passing, by someone leaving us, or by, you know, a, a, a fight or a disagreement, then we're hurt by it. Then love, the love that we think we created with these special relationships is just hidden. It's just, it's just something that pain is wrapped around. Because at the very core of it is pain and suffering. And if you truly listen to this and understand this, you'll agree with this, is that special relationships are just a way of setting up yourself for pain and suffering. Why would you do that? Why would any of us do that? We didn't know any better. And the ego told us that this was the way to do it, was to make one person more special over somebody else. And that's what we have to change. So then I believe let me see the bridge to the world. Yes. The, um, I am now just trying to check again and see if I have more to talk, talk about the choice for completion. Yes. So I have one more section to cover. Look at that. I totally gapped on that. On page 341 in my book says, uh, it's number five, the choice for completion. Paragraph one says, in looking at the special relationship, it is necessary first to realize that it involves a great amount of pain. Anxiety, despair, guilt, and attack all enter into it, broken into by periods in which they seem to be gone. All these must be understood for what they are. Whatever form they take, they are always an attack on the self to make the other guilty. Paragraph two, sentence three says, the special love relationship is the ego's chief weapon for keeping you from heaven. It does not appear to be a weapon but if you consider how you value it and why, you'll realize that it must be. Paragraph 3 says the special love relationship is the ego's most boastful gift and one which has the most appeal to those unwilling to relinquish guilt. The dynamics of the ego are clearest here. For counting on the attraction of this offering, the fantasies that center around it are often quite overt. Here they are usually judged by... To be acceptable and even natural. No one considers it bizarre to love and hate together. And even those who believe that hate is sin merely feel guilty but do not correct it. This is the natural condition of the separation. And those who learn that it is not natural at all seem to be the unnatural ones. For this world is the opposite of heaven, being made to be its opposite. And everything here takes a direction exactly opposite to what is true. In heaven, where the meaning of love is known, love is the same as union. Here, where the illusion of love is accepted in love's place, love is perceived as separation and exclusion. Paragraph five of the bottom says, to everyone, heaven is completion. There can be no disagreement. Next page. On this, because both the ego and the Holy Spirit accept this. They are, however, in complete disagreement on what completion is and how it is accomplished. The Holy Spirit knows that completion lies first in union and then in the extension of union. To the ego, completion lies in triumph and in the extension of the victory, even to the final triumph over God. Paragraph 6 says, the special relationship is a strange and unnatural ego device for joining hell and heaven and making them indistinguishable. And the attempt to find the imagined best, in quotation, of both worlds has merely led to fantasy of both and to the inability to perceive either as it is. The special relationship is the triumph of this confusion." It is a kind of union from which union is excluded, and the basis for the attempt at union rests on exclusion. What better example could there be of the ego's maxim, seek but do not find? And it's so interesting that it says the special relationship is the triumph of this confusion. It is a kind of union from which union is excluded. And the basis of the attempt at union rests on exclusion. That's a very important line because if you think about special relationships, these special love relationships, we exclude everybody else, right? So we have a relationship with someone that we make it special. We want them to ourselves. We don't want to include them with everybody else. We want it to be a special relationship exclusive exclusion from everybody else. That should tell you right there that that's not a healthy relationship when we want to exclude it from everything else and everybody else. uh, uh, Page 343 at the very top says, the conviction of littleness lies in every special relationship for only the deprived could value specialness. That's interesting. Paragraph 10, sentence four says, the central theme in its litany to sacrifice is that God must die so you can live. And it is this theme that is acted out in the special relationship. Through the death of yourself, you think you can attack another self and snatch it from the other to replace the self that you despise. Paragraph 12 says, whenever any form of special relationship tempts you to seek for love In ritual, remember love is content and not form of any kind. Sorry, content. Love is content and not form of any kind. The special relationship is a ritual of form aimed at raising the form to take the place of God at the expense of content. There is no meaning in the form and there will never be. This special relationship must be recognized for what it is, a senseless ritual in which strength is extracted from the death of God and invested in his killer as the sign that form has triumphed over content and love has lost its meaning. Would you want this to be possible, even apart from its evident impossibility? If it were, next page, possible... You would have made yourself helpless. God is not angry. He merely could not let this happen. You cannot change His mind. No rituals that you can set up in which the dance of death delights you can bring death to the eternal, nor can your chosen substitute for the wholeness of God have any influence at all upon it. Paragraph 13 sentence 2 says, in the name of your completion, you do not want this. For every idol that you raise in place before him stands before you in place of what you are. Paragraph 15 says, the core of the separation illusion lies simply in the fantasy of destruction of love's meaning. And unless love's meaning is restored to you, you cannot know yourself who share its meaning. Separation is only the decision not to know yourself. Paragraph 16 says, the decision whether or not to listen to this course and follow it is but the choice between truth and illusion. For here is truth separated from illusion and not confused at all, confused it at all. How simple does this choice become when it is perceived as only what it is? For only fantasies make confusion in choosing possible and they are totally unreal. That is where I'm going to stop. And then we'll pick up on the bridge to the real world. So that was a big section called the choice for completion. Oh, that's a big message, because it's saying that we do have a choice. And you can choose your, we can choose our special relationships, and we can make these beings, these forms, more special. And it can be a pet, it can be a person, it can be a child, it can be a spouse, it can be a friend, it can be whomever. We can make them more special than everybody else, but all we're doing is setting ourselves up for pain and disappointment because the only place that everything lasts forever is in eternity, and eternity is not of this world. Everything of this world has time attached to it. And we put time on all of those things. And that's why pain is so connected to love in this world, because everything will have its time. But if you can switch that over, and we're going to talk about a holy relationship, because we're going to switch it to a holy relationship. That's the plan. That's the book's plan. And when we switch it to a holy relationship, we no longer attach it to time. And it becomes very different. And it's what we need to consider and what the book wants us to consider. So I'm going to stop it there right now, and we are we will continue with chapter 16 in two weeks' time, and we will cover the bridge to the real world and the end of illusions, which will end chapter 16. Start chapter 17, which is forgiveness and the holy relationship, which was what I just talked about, bringing fantasy to truth. The Forgiven World and Shadows of the Past. We will cover then. My online live book club is on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If anyone is interested in joining, please email me. There is no cost involved and all is welcome. I want to thank all of you who have stayed with this book club theme that I created for this season. I saw the numbers were very high when we started and have dwindled off since. And I commend all of you are pushing forward. This book is difficult. I know. This book shares several ideas that are hard for our egos to accept. Recently, someone asked me why someone would stop reading this book. It's been my experience, it's no judgment here, just an observation, that people put it down when it brings to light something they refuse to accept of themselves. I struggled with special relationships, as I just said earlier, and I had to read it several more times to see the importance of understanding why we do this and how it has zero benefits for us. So thanks for listening. I can be contacted by email at trifectanow3 at gmail.com. If you'd like to ask a question, share a comment, get the link for the uh, book club on Wednesday nights, or just say hello keep on sharing the love. Remember, this is our journey. Together, let's find our way. Live in this moment. It's the only one that truly matters. Always love, Denise.